Ooh. Oh, hi, my name's Deanna, compulsive overeater, uh, really recovering 100-pounder, and I just want to start off with the serenity prayer. It's been a day. <laughs> it's been a day, uh, and, it's, and it's a moment. Um, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mind be done. My name's Deanna. I'm a compulsive overeater. And as I said, a re-recovering 100-pounder, which I'll get to in a bit. And, you know, I think my gut was telling me to start with the serenity prayer because at the heart of my disease is living in discord with the serenity prayer, not accepting what I cannot change, not having courage to change what I can, and a muddy brain that doesn't get a clear signal on knowing the difference. What is the wise thing versus the unwise thing? What is a fear-based decision or an ego-based decision versus what is higher power's will, which I see as the greatest good for all involved, meaning when I make decisions and go about my day, how, how is the greater good served? And that means not just my will and what I want and living by an agenda to get what I want and everybody else get out of my way um, out of fear that I'm not going to get mine. But it also doesn't mean that I completely dismiss myself um, in favor of what's going to make others happy or to go with the flow or to go with the crowd because that's my codependency, um, which is one of the many manifestations of my spiritual malady. So I came into Overeaters Anonymous um, December 11th, or no, sorry, December 30th of 2011. At that time, I weighed somewhere between 235 and 240 pounds, and that was not my top weight. It was my emotional bottom. Um, and please dismiss any any. If this sounds like a a repeat for you, I did I did speak on a phone meeting like a few weeks ago. So I hope there's some um, some fresh ears on here, and I just pray that my higher power um, helps me to share what somebody needs to hear tonight in this moment. So I came in 230 to 240 pounds. I'm five foot eight, and I was 32 years old. My top weight was somewhere around 300 pounds at the age of 20 years old, and I don't know what I weigh today. Um, I'm just about a little over seven months out of a horrific relapse. Not that there's ever a fun relapse. Uh, this relapse was particularly extensive. It, it permeated my mind, my soul, my body, my spirit, every part of my being. It was spiritual, it was physical, it was emotional, and it was mental, just as my disease is. And so for me, it's very important to keep the focus on my spiritual recovery and on the reduction of my ego and on kindness and humility rather than what the scale says. Um, that said, I would guess that I'm in the mid-170s at that time, probably somewhere between 170 and 175 pounds. I'm 5'8". So today, thankfully, I am no longer morbidly obese. Um, I know I've crossed that line out of relapse. Um, relapse, I got up to somewhere around my top program weight, somewhere around, I think I was 229, 230, somewhere in there. And then I stopped weighing because I just couldn't look anymore. So I've released a significant amount of weight um, physically out of relapse. And the journey from here is releasing emotional weight and spiritual weight 
and ego weight from this point. So I came into program because I was miserable. I had been fat pretty much as, uh, the vast majority of my life. I was 32 years old, and I started gaining weight when I was probably seven or eight years old, I'm going to guess. There's a picture of me um, in my soccer uniform, and I was most certainly chubby. And I know that I hit 200 pounds by sixth grade, 220 by eighth grade, um, 285 when I graduated high school, and then again topped out at around that 800-pound mark. And my 90% of my identity, as I saw it, was my weight, was being the fat girl, the fat funny girl, because my personality needed to be on equal par with my physical body to distract people from my weight. Um, not that they didn't notice. I, you know, I got teased and, and um, harassed relentlessly, just relentlessly. I felt so horrible. And I have three siblings. Um, none of them has ever reached uh, obesity or morbid obesity. Some of them fluctuate a little bit in weight, but it's not crossed the line, you know, into, into morbid obesity, not to the point where any of them has hit those lows that I hit that took me to the point where I said, I can't live like this anymore. I remember going to a therapist and I said, I feel black inside and my soul feels tired. And I, you know, I went primarily because I wasn't beating this weight thing. My family said, you've tried hard enough. You should just get the surgery. And I did not want to get weight loss surgery. I did not want to go on any medications. It was also offered to me to perhaps go on medication, you know, for depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying anything one way or the other on outside help um, as far as medication. I, I certainly get outside help, you know, to supplement um, my thinking, to supplement my, my inaccurate thoughts and my warped mind. Um, you know, so I do get ex, uh, outside help um, for that. Um, but I just didn't like the idea of medication. I didn't like the idea of um, being put under for a surgery. And so my therapist said, promise me you'll go to one OA meeting, commit that you'll go to one OA meeting. And, um, and I did, and I've never left, never left. And it's, uh, so it's been going on 12 years now in Overeaters Anonymous, and it opened an entirely new world for me. Um, I got to stop being the victim around my weight. Um, you know, I, I struggled a little bit. I, I got absent when I first came in. My sponsor, hearing that she hadn't binged for a couple of years, which is what my bottom line abstinence is, gave me enough hope, you know, that this process could work to arrest my disease immediately the day I got a sponsor, immediately. And I was able to abstain for several months, um, and then I lost that abstinence. Um, I got a little hungry, lonely, tired maybe after a date and went hunting for a particular food. And um, and that hunt um, ended in a binge, resulted in a binge. And I struggled for several months to get absent again. And I went to a friend's wedding in Long Island, and I ate everything but the bride and groom, I always say. And I couldn't get absent. And I called a fellow, and I said, I don't know what to do. I can't get absent. And she said, you're abstinent right now while we were on the phone. And she encouraged me to abstain for an hour, take it an hour at a time. And inevitably that um, five hours at a time eventually led to five years of abstinence um, from binging. I'm a knockout, drag down, multi-thousand calorie binger. I will go to a convenience store um, in the dark of night or the light of day, but in relapse, in my second relapse, which I'll get to, it became, I, I called her night binger. 
where I would just fill up bags, fill up bags in the convenience store, at least one bag, sometimes two, and go home and, and binge on my couch and watch TV with my binge buddy, the TV, and create this own little world where I felt safe and controlled, this escape where nothing could touch me, where I could make no wrong decisions, where I could feel nothing. Um, because for me, eating isn't about not feeling bad. It's about not feeling, period. I'm just level. It just levels me like a drug. It just it just levels me like a sedative. You know, it drowns out all the noises in my head. Um, I identify as having an alcoholic mind. I don't struggle with alcohol, but I, I love the big book. I listen to a lot of A material, and um, and I'm an addict. I'm an addict. My problem is my thinking. I've heard it said that if we substitute the word thinking for drinking in the big book, there therein lies the problem. So once I got abstinent and that boulder of food was removed, all the, the inner demons and all the pain and all the resentment and all the fear and all the awareness came flooding to the surface. And, you know, it says, it says in our literature that the real problem is us or me, I should say, you know, the problem isn't um, whenever I'm disturbed, I think it says in On Acceptance, page 417, whenever I'm disturbed, you know, it means there's something in me that nothing in world, God's world happens by mistake until I can accept that person, place, or thing as being exactly what it's supposed to be at that time. I can find no peace, you know, and um, and it's and it's true. I need a lot of help because I create a lot of chaos. Um, I just moved. And my new place is a lot smaller than my old place, so I'm trying to let go of some furniture, and I offered it up online for free, and some people responded they wanted it, and I just created a world of confusion. Well, if you come by this time, but I'm not going to be home at this other time, and, you know, that is my life when I'm in my disease is I can't think straight. And I felt like such a failure just because I couldn't, you know, make a simple arrangement to give away furniture to a stranger for free. Uh, to the point where I was like, this is why I shouldn't be alive even. I, I caused chaos. And the recovery is that, first of all, I wouldn't even have awareness of where the pain was coming from, that I was the source of chaos in a situation like this. I wouldn't even have that awareness without program. Step 11 is spiritual awareness. I'm aware of how my actions affect others, how my selfishness affects others, how my self-speaking affects others. And the recovery is, is one, that I had the self-awareness to see what I was contributing to the situation where I'm in pain because I'm going to let somebody down by not, you know, keeping my word of being able to get them this furniture, um, but also, um, yeah, causing them pain, causing myself pain. Um, and so that awareness is recovery. And not once was the thought, oh, I'm a piece of crap, therefore I get to go eat fill in the blank. And my favorite acronym for binge, I'm a binge eater again and a restrictor, is because I'm not good enough. And I wanted to cry. So the recovery was that on my next work break from work for my job, I called a fellow and I told her exactly what was going on and that I wanted to cry and was feeling like a failure and, you know, contributing to all this chaos. That's what I do. Awareness, you know, acceptance that I'm in chaos and action, the three steps to change, awareness, acceptance, action. And the action I took was to pick up a phone, call a fellow, and tell her I'm in pain. There's a, a wise fellow in this program. She says that people say in the meetings, call somebody if you want to take the first compulsive bite. Um, she said, no, call somebody if you're in pain or when you're in pain. And so that's what I did. I was in pain. And I called this fellow. She talked me off the ledge, gave me some suggestions for a next action I could take, you know, so I could go back into work and, 
and do my job, you know. And I work in a food place, mind you. I work in a place where I can get access to uh, a, a lot of the foods that I would, uh, that I can and have and would binge on if I am not under a guard of spiritual immunity. But when I am working my program, it's just product. We call it product. You're going to put product on the shelf. You're going to hand out product. You're going to charge people for product. It's product. Uh, when I'm in my disease, it's a drug. And how quickly can I get to my next break? so I can get to my drugs. And I don't do that today, a day at a time. So I'm going to go backwards and then forwards a bit. I had five years of abstinence, and then it, and I got down to a healthy body weight. Then I started to slide below a healthy body weight because that disease of because I'm not good enough said it's not good enough for you to go from a 100-pounder to just a healthy body weight. You've got to be the thinnest chick in the room. So I got down to like a model size. You know, I got down to a very slim weight. Um, and then in 2017, there was a series of losses in my life. My grandmother passed away. My, um, the members of my immediate family were moving across the country. Some of my dreams were altering and, and moving away from me as well. Um, I had an acting agent at the time, and my acting agency shut down. I had the courage to become a stand-up comic thanks to this program, and my stand-up comedy stuff was changing, and it was change after change after change. And I lost touch with uh, what my higher power was as the fear crept in and corroded that um, that phone line to my higher power. Um, and I'll admit I wasn't the person that had the strongest higher power coming in. Uh, I grew up um, pretty, like, fairly religious, but always struggled with um, agnosticism on the inside with some doubt and was afraid to express that. And so every time I would be depressed and my mom would say what's going on, instead of saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm going to hell or not, I just said, oh, I gained five more pounds this week. And my mom understood because she struggles with weight as well. And um, so that was the biggest secret that I came into program with. So my higher power and program became hope. That was my first higher power, the H and the P, between the O and the E and the word hope. And, um, you know, the hope that this could stop. And then music and then my conscience, and then synchronicity, coincidence, we could call it, it grew and grew and grew, my higher power. And then the fear crept in in 2017 when my life seemed like it was becoming unstable, and then I became unstable. I became coming unglued. It was like my spirit was separating from my body, and my mind twisted, and I started making decisions that were out of integrity with who I believe my higher power wants me to be. And I also got thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner because as the outside things looked like they were getting out of my control, because who has control anyway, I can only control my reactions to things. You know, my brain said, well, what you can control is staying thin, just stay thin. And I got thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner and thinner down into the 120s, 125-ish pounds, give or take, which on me is very thin at five foot eight, uh, and just my build, that's very thin on my build. And um, and then finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I was depressed. I was terrified. And I gave away my abstinence. And this time, I didn't just lose my abstinence for a few months. I lost it um, off and on, mostly off, for about four and a half years. And I gained 100 pounds in the first four months out of abstinence. I got fired from my job the week after I gave away my abstinence and lived in a state of terror for years. Somehow on the outside, I was still functioning. Um, I got a job about six or seven months into relapse in the food place where I work now where the food is just product when I'm, you know, in in a recovered mindset. 
and um, and got a sponsor. And I only had a, didn't have a sponsor for maybe the first two months of relapse, two three months of relapse. I didn't have a sponsor, and I kept making excuses for not getting one. And I continued to eat with the sponsor. I continued to eat while in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I continued to eat and continued to eat and continued to eat. And I felt like I could find no hope and that I had to eat my way through every life tragedy that came up until it was all over, you know. But the thing is, it's never going to be over. You know, life's going to happen. Life's going to change. And I felt like like life was failing me or my recovered self failed me. And they're not failures. Thank you. They're not failures. They're just changes. You know, I have to accept life on life's terms. And there wasn't anything, um, I don't know, sort of where I said I'm going to eat through this one more thing and then I'm going to stop because I would pick this day to be abstinent and that day to be abstinent. And uh, and it just, my brain would say, well, you can't be abstinent today. That's a holiday or that's a this day. And um, and so I just I just went off and on in the deep end of these waters, you know, while being semi-functional, while staying in program. Uh, in program, not uh, not spiritually, but physically, my body stayed in program. Technically, I was working the steps, but my heart was not aligned to abstinence. My heart was not aligned to surrender. I was still angry. I was still afraid. But I reached a point um, last year in November of 2022, the day after my natal birthday, where I was doing my big book workshop. I, I go to a big book workshop Wednesday nights, and our topic for that night was higher power. And what is your concept of a higher power? And clearly the higher power I had before in program, you know, no longer worked against relapse beast, against the progression of Deanna's disease. And, and mental health is, I, I, I can't reiterate this enough, mental health is a big part of my, my disease as well. I can't, I can't have any control over my mental health illnesses if I don't have spiritual recovery. But if I'm not monitoring my mental health issues, I don't reach for spiritual recovery. So they go hand in hand for me. So, again, I do have outside help, um, but I know that spirituality goes to the bone for me. So higher power. A fellow said she thinks of higher power as her, as her best friend. And so I thought about that, and um, I thought about that, and I just thought um, uh, that, okay, I like that idea. Um, I like that idea. Um, and, um, I just thought, uh, what would a higher power say to me right now? Um, and imaginary or real higher power, I'm not sure which, I leave space for it to be either, said, could you do me a favor and just stop, and just not binge tonight? Could you do me a favor and just not binge tonight? And I just said, okay. And it was over. The relapse was over a day at a time. Um, I just said, okay. And then I asked that imaginary friend to drive me home. And I've been absent ever since. It was very simple. I just knew I couldn't go on living, binging and stopping and binging and stopping and binging and stopping. I'm 43 years old. I couldn't imagine continuing the cycle. And that was just the crack of willingness to just pause and go, okay, so so what next? What now? And so I've been absent ever since. And I have no plans to leave the program. My disease is very aggressive. My ego is very aggressive. Despite this horrible relapse, I need a lot of humility. Part of me still thinks that I'm better than that person in the room that may be 100 or 200 or 300 pounds more than me or uh, better than the anorexic that, that um, can't, you know, um, stick to an abstinence 
or better than the person out there in the street. You know, I have a very warped ego, and that's why I need this program. I need humility, and I need to be able to accept my character defects, shortcomings, and limitations, and allow a higher power to help me grow and strengthen in those good qualities that I can offer to the world that build true self-esteem, coming out of care for others and doing the right thing, not of what size clothes I wear. And so um, I have pl- no plans to um, to leave this program. And um, I, I think my time is coming to a close. I do apologize. I'm going to be hopping off the meeting um, early because uh, I committed to being at, at a live meeting to support a fellow and to get some recovery for myself because I need it. So I'm going to be hopping off early, but I hope that um, that this was valuable to anyone. And um, I am more than happy to leave my phone number. I'm in California. Feel free to call or text. And I try to do my best with returning outreach calls and trying to help anyone who is struggling because I've been there. And without my spiritual immunity, which supports every other area of my life, I'm I'm a goner. I'm a goner. Uh, that's that's been proven. Um, you know, these steps are a power greater than myself, and there is a flow to life and a bigger presence that is a power greater than myself that I need to be in the flow of, in the flow of life, if I want to be happy, joyous, and free. So um, thank you for letting me share. I think that's my time. 